Well, hello and welcome back to Kindled. In case you're wondering what's up with my voice, no, I have not taken up pack-a-day smoking. Um, I just had some sinus congestion and uh, lost my voice today in the midst of all of that, you know, that wonderful drainage that makes you lose your voice. It's just the best. But anyway, the show must go on. So I'm going to make this short and sweet. Um, But I'm super excited to bring you this conversation I got to have with Holly Pivik. She's really the foremost expert on NAR or the New Apostolic Reformation, and you will learn all about what that is, um, how to spot it, what the signs are, what the teachings are, the dangers of it, and what we as Christians need to know and what we need to, um, how we how we can move forward uh, within our churches, whether we are in one that is showing signs of this or not, and um, how we can engage in relationships with friends and family who might be caught up and swept up in this movement. I heard from so many people on Instagram when I announced this topic that they there was a lot of you who said you had family members or friends that were attending churches that were either drifting in the direction of the New Apostolic Reformation or were professing and teaching these ideas. And uh, so I know this is going to be relevant to a lot of you. Before I press play on our conversation, just to remind you to uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. Um, leave us a rating and review. I don't always remember to ask for that, but if you're, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you can um, click a star rating and leave some words of a review, what you thought of the episode, what you think of Kindled, how it's helped you or challenged you or um, introduced you to new ideas, hopefully uh, just really encouraged you in very old truths, uh, not so many new ideas. Um, I would really appreciate that. It always makes such a huge difference on on those platforms that um, the podcast is, you know, shown on to other potential listeners. So thank you for that in advance. Um, I think that's all we have for today. So here's my conversation with Holly Pivik. Holly, welcome to Kindled. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much, Haley, for asking me to be on. I've been looking forward to this. Yes, I have been um, super interested to chat with you. Uh, The NAR, or as you call it, NAR, is something that I've been learning about for the last year. And so I'm excited that we're going to kind of go deep onto that topic, which you are an expert in. Uh, But before we do, why don't you introduce yourself to listeners, tell them who you are and what you do. Okay. As you said, my name is Holly Pivik. I, um, well, I've written, I have a new book coming out uh, with my co-author, Doug Guyvett, um, professor at Biola University um, and Talbot School of Theology, a philosophy professor there. And so our new book is called Counterfeit Kingdom, and that's what we're talking about today. It's Counterfeit Kingdom, the Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, New Age Practices in the Church. But together, Doug and I have previously written two other books about the new apostolic reformation movement. Um, And those books, um, one is called A New Apostolic Reformation, Question Mark, A Biblical Response, to a worldwide movement. That book was really in depth, really going into the theology of the New Apostolic Reformation, very heavily documented, kind of more like a, a academic work um, that really goes a deep dive into the, the theology. And then there was a um, shorter version of that book called God Super Apostles, which God Super Apostles, which condensed uh, the information in that book. So we wrote those previously, um, but this new book, Counterfeit Kingdom, um, rather than going as deep into the theology of the movement is more focused on the practices of the new apostolic reformation. So really where the rubber meets the road, where are, is this movement movement, um, coming in to churches and to ministries? Um, how can you spot signs of its influence? What are the, the practices that are troubling and that are, um, harming people. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's, uh, I have a blog, um, I've been doing for many years about the new apostolic reformation at hollypivot.com. Um, I'm a graduate of Biola university in Southern California and have a master's degree in Christian apologetics, uh, from there and, um, worked there for about a decade in the marketing office as the editor of their university magazine. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I first learned about this movement. And since then have, have been researching it and writing about it. Wow. That's really cool. 
Um, yeah. So you mentioned that you wrote these two other books and did you, I'm curious, like what was the kind of driver behind, you know, writing this, this new book? Was it that you kind of started to see almost, I would imagine, I'm just guessing that you started to see this movement, um, gain in popularity and people's awareness of it even dwindle further. Like what was the impetus behind that? Right. So when we wrote our books earlier, um, it was already a global movement. Um, but since then it has grown even more, it's, it's fast growing and largely, um, like through the music that we'll probably talk about today. That's so popular. The teachings have just really spread throughout churches. So this movement used to be more focused in, um, Pentecostal charismatic churches. It's not the same as Pentecostal charismatic teachings. And we'll talk about that today, but that's where it kind of emerged out of. But since mm -hmm. then, over the years, this movement has really spread so that now you can, you can find it in uh, all kinds of churches, uh, even outside of Pentecostal charismatic churches, non-denominational churches, more, more traditional um, standard denominations. Um, it's everywhere. And so the other thing is we have received letters since we wrote our first books from people literally from around the world sharing about this movement, um, how its teachings have come in and damaged their churches and, and the way they've experienced harm. And so that's also uh, spurred us uh, mm -hmm. to write this book. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you are. And um, I, I know that my awareness of it Probably I started hearing that term and wondering, what does that mean? Are there apostles today? Why why is anyone talking about that? It just seemed odd to me, um, maybe about a year ago. And I will say, you know, I'm someone, and we'll get into this, like you said, but I'm someone that kind of, when I first started hearing about it, thought, well, I don't really see the big deal with continuing to listen to the music that they put out, as long as it's theologically sound, right? Like, I don't really, you know, as long as the words are fine what's the big issue? And, you know, the more that I learn, the more concerned I become with, uh, with that convert, that part of the conversation that, that we will dive into. So, um, I appreciate that the work that you're doing here. So let's start off. Why don't you give us a definition for what the new apostolic reformation is? Okay, so New Apostolic Reformation is a global movement, and it's led by church leaders who claim to be apostles and prophets, but but um, not apostles in the way some people have used the word, like maybe like a missionary or church planner or a prophet, like so, like maybe Pentecostals or Charismatics might talk about someone who has a spiritual gift of prophecy. Mm -hmm. The leaders in this movement claim that they're authoritative apostles and prophets, and they hold like formal offices in church government, much like pastors or elders, except pastors and elders are supposed to submit to them. Um, and the reason is, is because they claim to be receiving new revelation that's pivotal, that's critical for all Christians to receive so that all of us can develop these uh, miraculous powers like uh, learning to heal the sick, raising the dead, prophesying, and they would say that these we all Christians need to be doing these things so that we can bring God's physical kingdom to earth. Mm -hmm. And the reason that the church hasn't been able to bring God's physical kingdom to earth so far is because apostles and prophets have been missing for the last couple thousand years. So they're seeking to restore these apostles mm -hmm. and prophets to the church. And so really the key is um, that separates this movement from like Pentecostal charismatic teaching is Pentecostals and charismatics have emphasized the miraculous gifts of the Holy spirit that, that gifts like speaking in tongues, prophesying, um, healing. These are gifts that some individuals in the church have today that God has given some people those gifts. Um, but in NAR, what they would say, not only do people, some people have these gifts, there are also other people who hold these formal hierarchical offices and church government and um they are giving new revelation that is authoritative um and and so it's really the amount of authority that they put into these apostles and prophets and um the teaching that the core teaching that these apostles and prophets are governing the church that they hold governmental offices and church government which pentecostals and charismatics historically have not um accepted accepted these teachings. Um, so they go way beyond anything that's taught in Pentecostal charismatic churches. Okay. Um, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. So, so that what you said about them believing they are 
um, restoring the offices of apostles and prophets, which have been missing from the church. So that's, that's going to be a pretty big defining characteristic, right? Because that, that would kind of, um, to me explain why the sudden impetus and like, and push on, um, you know, really kind of trying to proselytize like Christianity with this mm-hmm. idea, it's it's been missing from their point of view. So they've absolutely as something good that they're doing, obviously. Yeah, and they will say, well, really, there always have been apostles and prophets. They just people haven't recognized them as such. But but yes, it is very much a restoration movement that that they are restoring truths that the early Christians allegedly had and that were lost. And one of those core truths they claim to be restoring is that apostles and prophets are supposed to hold the top offices in the church, not pastors or elders. Okay. So most obvious question right off the bat is what's wrong with that? What's the problem with, why is this unbiblical? Why is it wrong to say that? Cause there will be people listening probably who are, you know, in different spectrum, different spots in the spectrum of theolo- theological knowledge or or understanding of the Bible or the different offices that the Bible institutes um, within the church. So what is the problem with this? Well, so the claim, their core claim that the office, that apostles and prophets are supposed to govern the church, that can't be supported by scripture. Um, the verse, the key verse they point to is Ephesians 4.11, mm-hmm. which talks about God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers Um, This verse does not say anything about governmental offices. It's not establishing a hierarchy in church government. It's Mm -hmm. it's talking about different gifted people that God has given the church. Um, But there's nothing in there about this hierarchical system of church government. And so um, and so what happens is and, and what you do see, though, in Scripture, most clearly in the New Testament is that that the apostles, the original apostles, Christ apostles, as they were preparing, they knew that their death was approaching and they were getting older. And as they were passing from the scene, they taught that elders were the office that was to govern the church and they appointed elders. And so that's most clearly the system of church government that you can see in the New Testament. But the claim that apostles and prophets are supposed to govern the church, the reason they say that is so they can bring their new revelation that they believe is is pivotal, is critical. Mm-hmm. And so really what they're doing is they're putting their new revelation on a par with scripture. They're not actually yeah. adding their new revelations into the Bible. Um, but by saying that they're giving this critical new revelation that all Christians must have or else, or else they'll really be outside of mm-hmm. God's will, um, what they are in effect doing is treating their new revelation as if it has the authority of scripture. Right. Yes, that's really important to understand. I'm glad you clarified about that it is a role that is a church governance role that the Bible does not institute. Like in all of the passages that lay out the qualifications for an elder or for a pastor, we don't see the same kind of listing of qualifications for an apostle or a prophet, right? Because it's not in that system of governance. Right. That's right. Um, there's actually no evidence in the New Testament that prophets ever governed, that they ever held uh, governing right. roles in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are the apostles, uh, Christ's 12 apostles did, and Paul. And there are other apostles mentioned in the New Testament. And that's important to mention because people in NAR like to point out, well, there are other people called apostles in the New Testament besides the 12 and Paul. Um, but people need to realize that the word apostle it's kind of like our English word messenger today. It has a range of meaning. You can be a messenger of God. You can be a messenger, you know, for um, UPS <laughs> delivering a package. You can be, you can be a messenger, you know, of uh, uh, different types of messengers. And then the same way the word apostle had this range of meaning where it could be an apostle, one who was sent directly by Christ because apostle means sent one right. in Greek, or it can be um, a messenger of a church uh, mm-hmm. sent out, out to do certain tasks, fulfill certain functions, a messenger, more like a church planner or a missionary, those kind of things. Right. And so we're not um, disputing the idea that you could have apostles today in the sense of church planners or missionaries or something like that, mm-hmm. even though we don't think it's best to use that term. Mm-hmm. But um, what we're saying is these apostles who claim to hold these authoritative governing offices is, is what's problematic. Right. So just one more piece on on the front end before we kind of get more into it is the question of um so 
do would you say though, like you just said, you don't think the word apostle is best to use for church planners or missionaries, right? Because what it really kind of means is that someone walked with Christ and was sent by Christ, like the apostle, you know, Paul, like he was in, he was obviously wrote scripture, was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down these words, which are canonized in the scriptures. And so to use the term that we have apostles today is to give credence and kind of authority that any man today should not, should not have. Correct. So we shouldn't. Well, it, it, yeah, it just creates confusion. We would say when you have people in NAR using the term apostle as these authority to refer to authoritative church leaders, you know, and that's how the term's being used. And then you have others that are using it to refer to missionaries and church planners that can just create confusion. So we just think it's best to, and, and also throughout church history, um, I think it's notable that church leaders did not allow themselves to be called apostles through church history. Um, and there was a reason for that. So um, it, it creates confusion about what they're claiming for their of themselves. I want to tell you about our first sponsor for today, and that is Sue Yount with Plexus. Now, Sue's company, Plexus, focuses on gut health and gut support. They have all kinds of supplements to help you with that. Recently, my husband actually had a health scare related to his gut. He had acute colon inflammation, which resulted in a very expensive ambulance ride, some time in the ER, and then a lot of follow-up tests and kind of investigative stuff with specialists to see what was going on. And ultimately where we landed is thankfully he is okay, but he does have to be more intentional about making sure he's maintaining a healthy gut and his you know, intestinal tract, which are words I don't often use on this podcast. But all of that to say, my family has been very focused on making sure that we are getting the supplements that we need that assist us in maintaining a healthy gut. And Plexus has just the products to help us do that. So I am um, a, a consumer, a purchaser myself of these products. I would not tell you about them unless I use them myself and actually felt like they were helping me. Um, I love the fizzy sticks from Plexus that I get. I love that my girls have the kids version of the microbiome because I know their diets are probably deficient in a lot of those good bacteria that they need to help them fight off whatever sicknesses are getting passed around this year. I just appreciate that there's a company that I can trust and rely on and know that it is going to give my family's health that little boost it needs, especially in these winter months. So I encourage you to check out Sue's custom link at bit.ly slash healthy with Sue. That's bit.ly slash healthy with Sue. She's giving Kindle listeners 10% off their welcome pack orders, plus a free Plexus branded shaker bottle with a purchase of $50 or more. So check out bit.ly and that's bit.ly slash healthy with Sue. Right. Absolutely. Okay, so you start off the book in a really fascinating way. You tell the story of Wake Up Olive. And for anyone that's listening that does not recall, this was kind of a, a campaign that was around this little girl that died, who was the daughter of one of the worship leaders at Bethel in, was it 2018 or? Uh, 2019, 19. December 2019. Yeah. Yeah, yes. And um, I don't know if if people remember, but if you could just kind of, um, briefly remind people what happened there and, you know, why, why you start the book off this way. Cause I think it was a really powerful opening. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I want to do that just back up just slightly. I wanted uh -huh. to mention to your listeners that, um, most people who are part of the new apostolic reformation, they don't use that term of themselves. They don't say I'm part of the new right. apostolic reformation. They may even deny that they're part of the new apostolic reformation as some leaders in this movement do. Um, so it's very important just to realize that that just because someone says they're NAR, they're not NAR, mm -hmm. if, if they even know what it is, right. isn't really the important point. It's do they hold to these core teachings that we just talked about, yes. about authoritative apostles and prophets. But um, back to Olive. Um, yeah. So in December 2019, uh, there was a two-year-old little girl named Olive, and she was the daughter of a worship leader at Bethel Church, uh, someone on staff. And... Um, Olive passed away unexpected, uh, unexpectedly in her sleep. And, um, you know, the paramedics were called, she was rushed to the hospital, but sadly she, she had passed, you know, she had died. And, um, and so what happened was 
Bethel, the leaders of Bethel Church started urging its followers worldwide to begin declaring, making prayer declarations that all of uh, would be raised from the dead. And they actually called on through social media. They, you know, they were globally, uh, their followers were joining in and making these prayer declarations for six days um, that all of would be raised. And there were even well-known worship leaders um, like Carrie Job, who joined in and they were, they were saying, you know, we're standing in faith for all of to be raised. And, um, and so even at Bethel church, they were holding meetings where people were, you know, dancing and, and singing, um, you know, for all of to come out of the grave and making these prayer declarations. And, and so, um, it, this story was picked up by national media, um, and it was reported by secular media who was really following it. And, um, you know, after six days, um, Bethel church, uh, you know, admitted that Olive hadn't been raised and, and they had a funeral. So for six days, Bethel church leaders, uh, and Bethel church and, and their followers, um, you know, made these prayer declarations for Olive to be raised. And sadly that, uh, she was, you know, she was not raised. Um, but, um, I think this is when a lot of people who knew about Bethel church, but didn't know, um, how extreme Bethel church is and its teachings and how far off they are. That's when they, they first became aware of, um, of, um, just how problematic Bethel is, um, mm -hmm. and, um, and how much harm, yeah. um, can come from its teachings. Yeah, I think that's really important to to note because that is, you know, the pushback that I've gotten, if any, when I've brought this up is, you know, why are Christians so divisive and why do some Christians love to just point out the error in other Christians and we're on the same team and we have the same political leanings and, oh, we just came through this really controversial time and these people were fighting and come on, like, do you not see that, you know, that you're kind of, you've got this infighting that you're, why are you stoking that or feeding that fire? And, um, you know, I, I think that can be a very um, persuasive argument for some people and and make them, us, me, and, you know, wh whoever may be listening potentially feel like, okay, I should just stay quiet. Why do I, you know, I shouldn't be creating um, tension or dissension where it doesn't need to exist. But when you see the very real harm and damage that comes to human lives and hearts and people from this movement, I think that is what can motivate us to stand firm in speaking out against it because it does come with a cost, just like any false teaching. It comes with real cost. And it is it is not the only reason to speak out. I think diversion from the truth of God's word is enough, but I think a lot of us lose perspective of why would I pick this fight, you know, because it is kind of a hard fight to pick, I think, at this moment in time. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. And I think one thing people might miss is that there are degrees of error. You know, there's, mm -hmm. um, first of all, somebody could have views um, that beliefs that make them outside the Christian faith. They actually hold yeah. heretical doctrine. We're not saying that about Bethel Church or people in NAR. Um, we're not saying that they're, they've, they've accepted heresy. We're not saying that they deny that Jesus is God, or they deny the doctrine of the Trinity or any of these essentials of the faith. But so what people think though, is that, well, if it's not heretical, then the different, their theology, the differences in theology are non-essential. They're just not important. Right. And they think there's only two categories. There's heretical, or there's just not important, you know? But but there's a different category of beliefs that are called aberrant, and these are seriously um, these are teachings that are fall under serious error. They're not heresy necessarily, but they're still serious error, and it's it's more important than just differences and like preferences of worship style, and you know uh, maybe some views about eschatology or things mm -hmm. like the end time, you know things like that. Um, so the error that's being promoted by in the New Apostolic Reformation or by in our churches like Bethel Church and Reading is is of that degree of serious error in many cases. And whenever there's serious error promoted, um, you know, as you say, people's lives are hurt. There's it's not victimless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, as you know, we can see in the letters we're getting constantly from from people who have been harmed by these teachings mm -hmm. and the spiritual abuse and 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 all of the false promises that people would be healed when they're not healed, or you know, like all of raised from the dead. 
Um, and so, and also I think the other thing people need to remember is that scripture, we're told repeatedly in scripture to watch out for false teaching, um, mm -hmm. to be on guard against it, again, be on guard for false prophets and false apostles. Um, and in Romans 16, 17, we, we cite this verse in our book, but Paul told the Romans to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned, avoid them. And what's important to realize there, he says, watch out for those who cause divisions. He's saying people that bring false teaching into the church are actually creating division. And so it's not the people that are warning about the false teaching that are being divisive. It's actually the people that are promoting these teachings and bringing teachings into the church that have never been here before, introducing them. They're the ones that are creating that division. Yeah, that's it's 100% true. Yeah. And you, um, you know, you said in your book, one quote is you said it's downright cruel or no, it actually wasn't you that said this it, right. It was actually a, an atheist, uh, mm -hmm. who was writing about this because this story was, you know, picked up really nationwide and people were watching this happen. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, the, the, non-believers were kind of like what in the world is going on these people are crazy um christians some of some of them like you mentioned were joining in others were watching going oh my gosh is this really what they believe like why do they believe this this is crazy i didn't i didn't know that they thought this was possible you know um but an atheist who was writing about this said it's downright cruel to tell people their dead loved ones might come back if only they pray hard enough um, it takes religion to add a second layer of misery on top of already unthinkable grief. Yeah. Um, and that just reveals, you know, just the the terrible witness, too, that this is to the watching world when Christians are believing and living under false teachings is, you know, they don't see the hope we have in Christ. They see the hope that we have in what Christ can give us or what he will accomplish for us here or what he's going to achieve through a healing or through some miracle. And yet that's not what the Bible encourages us to put our hope in. That's not where we are to anchor our faith and, um, and, you know, to center around. And it was like this whole, this whole thing with Olive um, was just a microcosm of what their beliefs represent. It was just this like perfect kind of story to, to represent and show the world like this is really kind of what th this movement is teaching people to center around you know what god will do in 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 the here and now whether it be a miracle whether it be you know bringing his kingdom to earth quote unquote which we can get into what that means but um rather than on the glory of god and christ you know and the gift of salvation that we've already received through jesus it just seems like it's it's totally flipped it yeah. And it's, and one thing I really want to stress is, you know, we're not saying that people who, uh, who have these beliefs or who's, you know, the churches that even have these beliefs that these people are not saved, uh -huh. that they're not Christians. Uh, very many wonderful people are attending our churches. I share in the story about my own husband. Uh, when I, when I met him, when we began dating, he was part of this movement, you know? So, so there are many, um, uh, sincere Christians who, who have gotten caught up in these teachings mm -hmm. or been influenced by these teachings. And, um, we really want to stress that, that we're not questioning their salvation, but what we are trying to point out is some harmful beliefs that, um, that can harm them, um, and that have harmed many others and that are, that are seriously, uh, dangerous teachings. Yeah, that's good to, good to be reminded of. So alongside you know, the obvious, um, the, the story that I was just mentioning with trying to wake Olive from the dead, which did not end up happening. What are some of the other practices or teachings that we've seen that have kind of surfaced, whether from photos or social media or just, you know, um, their public ministry platforms and, and the fact that we have the internet now. So what, what are some of the things that we're seeing coming out of NAR churches? Well, uh, um, one very popular practice is the idea of activating, um, miraculous gifts in individuals. And by that, what they mean is, is, um, they, they teach in NAR that, that anybody, um, can have miraculous gifts, such as the ability to prophesy or heal people activated in themselves. And, and so they, per, they've started these supernatural schools of ministry, like Beth, it's pa patterned after Bethel school, supernatural ministry in, in Reading, um, where thousands of people have attended, 
Um, and, and people go to these schools basically to learn to be miracle workers. And, and again, it's not that we are saying that, that people today can't have miraculous gifts like prophesying or, or even working miracles or something like that. That's a Pentecostal charismatic, you know, belief, but, but we're, what we're saying is the idea that, you know, according to scripture in first Corinthians 12, we're taught that, um, Paul says that the Holy spirit distributes the individual, the, the gifts to individuals as he decides. And, um, not every person can have every miraculous gift, um, you know, um, or every spiritual gift, we're all given different spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that you can take part in like these exercises that are taught in classrooms and these activation exercises to develop miraculous powers is not something that can be supported by scripture. And so let me give an example. One thing they'll do, for example, is they might blindfold two people and they'll have them stand back to back so they don't know who's, you know, behind you. And then just say the first thing that comes to your mind is a prophetic word for the person um, or you, they will ask God, give me information about that person behind me what's their favorite movie or something like that mm. and they do these kind of things to learn how to activate a gift of prophecy in them in themselves and mm. so so that's um that's something that's very different in this movement even from like pentecostal charismatic teaching so very strange um so like you said the gifts are given from god and not from man and so the fact that they are going around teaching and, you know, selling courses and enrollments and, you know, this idea that you can walk away having learned from man, what the Bible says is a gift from God. Um, that's very concerning. That's very like problematic. Anyone who believes in the authority of scripture should, should be very uncomfortable with that idea at the very least. And if not going, look, that's totally unbiblical where, what, what's the, what's the basis of this? So, that's one question that I got from, from my um, Instagram audience when I asked them what questions they might have for you is, are NAR teachers or, you know, and, and maybe this would differ depending on who you ask, but are they concerned with, are they twisting scripture? Are they, are they reinterpreting certain scriptures to kind of land on these beliefs? Or is it really just more of a departure from scripture and they're not concerned with what the Bible says that might like go against these ideas so the, all the leaders in this movement would say would pretty much agree that scripture um all christians are supposed to follow scripture as our highest authority but the the way that the um false teachings are often introduced in nar is is the apostles and prophets will claim that they receive prophetic illumination um into the scriptures and so in other words it's like god gives them a new insight or understanding of a passage of scripture or a verse of scripture that no one's ever seen before mm -hmm. um and then and so then what they'll do is they'll teach that as doctrine and um so for example so, something like the seven mount mandate that's a very popular revelation by prophets in this movement it's the idea that god has given this church a new strategy to take dominion or socio-political control of the seven major societal institutions. Um, and so that God's kingdom can come to earth and, and, but they'll, they'll, you know, see passages in the old Testament um, and, and they'll say, Oh, the seven mountain mandate is taught in this particular passage or that passage, even though it's, it's not in there, but the apostle or prophet will receive insight that that's what's being taught in that passage. Hmm. And so um and so, um, yeah, so it's this process of prophetic illumination that, so, so they'll say that they have this high view of scripture and that they only follow scripture, but then when you can bring new understandings to scripture that nobody's ever had before, it's not really scripture. Right. Exactly. It's, it's not scripture anymore. You've twisted it and added to it. And we know what the Bible yeah. says about that. Like no one should add to the words in this book. So it's pretty serious mm -hmm. problem with doing that. And, and, and there is a lot of scripture twisting too. And we talk, give examples in our book, for example, Ephesians 4.11, I already talked about mm -hmm. um, just because it mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers in that verse doesn't mean you can build a whole doctrine that there's this church higher, you know, hierarchical system of government that churches are supposed to follow um, through the centuries. Right. Our next sponsor is So Simple Sight Words. 
So Simple Sight Words gives learners a chance to own sight words using the proven techniques developed by veteran elementary school teacher Patty So. The four-volume bundle includes all four volumes of sight word cheers, flashcards, and practice sentences, plus a teacher's manual and full month of activities. Any of us who have taught kids how to read understand how frustrating it can be to uh, hit up those sight words that you know your child is going to need in order to be a fluent and successful reader, but be at a loss of how to help them master those. We've done the flashcards, we've done the repetition, and yes, sometimes that can work, but what about if that isn't working for your kid? And what if your kid is just flat out bored with sight words? This program is your solution. So simple is word ownership, it helps with fluency, and it's fun. Visit SoSimpleSightWords.com to learn more and use promo code KINDLED to get 20% off your order. Again, that is SoSimpleSightWords.com to learn more and use the promo code KINDLED to get 20% off your order. Yeah. And there's, you know, you mentioned the activating. There's so much else that you talk about in the book, which we won't have time to go into Um, but, and I do really want to encourage everyone listening to get this book. Um, I'm going to order it today. I've been reading the PDF digitally, but I want to have a physical copy in my hands. It is so informative. Um, and you talk about, so some of these other practices are like grave sucking or grave soaking where they lay on the graves of like deceased, um, influential people in the church or, or spiritual leaders that they would, they would like to kind of receive basically, or somehow absorb, the spiritual influence or miracle working power of those individuals. Um, Very creepy. I I know that that got that, that became publicized and they kind of tried to kind of uh, pretend like that was no longer happening. Right. I saw things, I saw things on social media saying like, Oh, that's not happening anymore. No one's doing that. Like, or they, they didn't encourage people to do that. That was just some random guy deciding to do that. Right. But it was actually, there was photo evidence of Benny Johnson, which is Bill Johnson's wife doing this. Yes. And, and actually, yeah, another pastor at Bethel church, Ben Fitzgerald taking part in it. Um, also a former BSSM student, uh, talks about, we, we, we cite this in our book, but that he actually heard, you know, this taught while he was a student at Bethel school, supernatural ministry, and even promoted by, by Benny herself. Yeah. And then there's waking up angels, this idea that angels can fall asleep and they just need to be woken up. And so, just some very weird and, um, you know, again, I, I just want to emphasize no scriptural backing for some of these concepts. And yet, you know, um, kind of broadly uh, or, or pot- potentially, I guess there could they maybe they have a verse they're twisting, but certainly divergent from Orthodox Christian teaching on a lot of these things. Um, I know there was also like a, a Lord of the Rings reenactment ceremony. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that on a walk a couple years ago and was just like, what is happening? Like, I don't even know the purpose of what that was, but some very mm-hmm. odd goings on, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's one thing, the people who have uh, read our book so far, people who've received advanced copies or reviewed the book, that's one thing that they've been saying is that they they thought they knew quite a bit about Bethel and they did, but they had, there was a lot that they didn't know um, just how um, bizarre and extreme the teachings and the practices really are. Yes, absolutely. So let's shift into kind of talking about the influence that Bethel is having and how they are, um, you know, promulgating these ideas. Um, The number one way is music, right? Worship music. music. Yeah, definitely. Um, We have a whole chapter about music in our book, and it's probably the most controversial chapter (laughs) Um, in many ways, because music is really, I mean, that's really, you know, where the rubber meets the road. I mean, most churches today in America are using Bethel music um, or music from other NAR-influenced churches. Um, And so like Jesus Culture in Sacramento, which came out of um, Bethel Reading and and of course, uh, um, you know, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Missouri. They that's have four where I'm, I'm in Kansas City. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a little bit of a history there. My parents went to, um, well, it wasn't IHOP when they went. It was Metro Vineyard Fellowship. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember going there until I was about six years old. And, um, I, I was one of the girls that would run up and down the aisles with my ribbon dancer during worship. So (laughs) just FYI, I no longer do that, nor think that's, that's an appropriate way to worship in a corporate setting. But, um, yeah. And then they swung the total opposite direction and went like Uber reformed. Um, and now I'm, you know, in a very healthy, uh, place that is that is not in in either super extreme in that sense but yes i that is ihop is very popular today here i mean it's mm-hmm. it draws a ton of young people a lot of college students um and yeah it's it's a concern and just since we were mentioning ihop i have to say um they have a statement on their website that denies that they are part of the new apostolic reformation. And so that throws a lot of people because when we say in our books or interviews that IHOP KC is a NAR, people will say, well, how can you say that? They have a statement on their website that says that they're not NAR. But the thing is uh, Mike Bickle, um, the founder of IHOP and leader promotes the core NAR teaching uh, uh, that uh, of gover- governing apostles and prophets. And yeah. we've had direct conversation with Mike Bickle where he's oh. he's affirmed that to us. It can also be seen in his books and teachings. And so um, it's very important for people to realize that that there can be these denials coming out and that yeah. are coming out by leaders in this movement saying we're not part of the new apostolic reformation and they can sound very convincing to people that haven't really studied it as closely as as we have. And um, so you, what you really got to look for is, are they saying that there are governing apostles and prophets today? Are they promoting authoritative apostles and prophets and not just listen to the denials? Right, right. That's that's super important to hear. So the music is one way. And um, because I haven't gotten to that chapter yet, what is your takeaway as far as can people just listen to Bethel music without kind of promoting the false teaching that is coming, coming out of the churches that are writing that music? Well, you know, what we, we say is that, you know, we talk about how music is just so, um, powerful. Um, it really, we say music really is the catechism of today's church. Um, you know, when we go to church, Um, and we sing songs, you know, you know, when we leave, we could have those tunes in our head, the words in our head all week, you know, even after we've forgotten maybe the pastor's sermon, you know, so, um, music is so powerful. And so, but we, we believe that the music is really a Trojan horse, uh, for NAR. And the reason we say that we have a number of reasons for saying that, and we're not trying to just be reactionary or legalistic or something like that. What we show in our chapter is that NAR theology is actually laced through the lyrics. And we give examples of very of specific songs and the lyrics um, uh, and show how you really, once you know NAR teachings, you can recognize that the buzzwords and the theology that's laced throughout the songs. Yeah. And then... Um, and so beyond that, though, um, the leaders of Bethel Church, like Bill Johnson, have have he's explicitly he's very clearly stated that he sees the music as a means of spreading Bethel teachings and practices in churches throughout the world. And um, he also has talked about the power of music and the way it will get people to believe things that they wouldn't necessarily believe. Um, you know, um, just if they heard the teaching that the music has this power to do that, and so. So there's an agenda behind the music to spread the teachings, like with Bethel and music specifically. And um, and um, so because of that, what we would say is that it's, and a lot of people, I should add, have been drawn into NAR, a lot of people. We're, people contact us all the time saying what first hooked me was the music, Bethel mm-hmm. music or something. I like the music. So I went to a conference at Bethel Church. I started getting into the teachings. And the next thing you know, I became part of NAR. Um, and so um, because the theology is laced through the lyrics, yeah. uh, because there's an agenda behind the music that that the leaders have stated to draw people into their teachings and practices, um, because many people have been drawn into NAR uh, through the music, um, we think it's best to avoid uh, using, uh, for, churches should avoid using NAR music. Um, 
And it just, it helps further the agenda. And people will always say, well, what about the songs that um, are, you know, the songs that are harmless? Like not all their lyrics are bad. In fact, some of their lyrics seem to be very sound. Mm -hmm. Um, What we would say to that is, we still think it's best to avoid using music from churches that are overtly NAR, like Bethel Church and Reading, um, like Jesus Culture, like Forerunner Music at IHOP KC. And the reason is, is because it's furthering the NAR agenda. And um, it's also making it harder to warn people about the dangers of this movement too, when mm, yeah. all the churches in America are using the music you know, it's, um, it, it makes it more difficult to speak up and warn people about the dangers of it. The next sponsor I want to tell you about is Cornerstone Curriculum. And this sponsor is going to make your decisions around what you teach your children in regards to biblical worldview incredibly simple. I completed their four-year program, Worldviews of the Western World, in high school, and they have many other resources available for students of all ages. This is not only for homeschool families, although it is perfect if you do homeschool. Um, Even if your kids are in a private or a public school, they have resources for you. They have a Answers for Difficult Days Bible Study, Starting Points Worldviews Primer, video series, so much more. Check out their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com and be sure to use the coupon code KINDLED for 5% off. That's KINDLED for 5% off and visit their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com. That is such a good point. I I don't think I had heard that yet, that it does make it more difficult because if you're singing those songs in church and if you are having a, an emotional experience, you know, I mean, like so many of us, um, not to say that worship is an emotional experience, but there is an aspect of, you know, you have to intentionally worship. Like you don't just show up in church and you're suddenly worshiping because you're singing, like singing is just part of worship, but worship is a heart posture. And when you are positioning yourself in a way to, you know, to praise God and to glorify him with your voice and to, you know, be moved by the truths of what you're singing, that is going to, it has an impression on you. It has an impact on you. I know I have friends that will say, oh, I saw that, you know, our church will sometimes put like on Instagram stories, like here's the lineup for Sunday. And they'll get excited about like what church, what song is on the lineup. Be like, oh, I love this song. Can't wait to sing that. And, and so people are, they are emotionally affected, which it is, it doesn't just stop there. It also does impact how you think, what you believe. Um, like you said, it is the catechism of today. And so that's, that's a very powerful point that if you are, even if you are singing something that's theologically sound, just on the words alone, that isn't the only reason to sing or to not sing something that there is other things going on. And, and it could be just that knowing that that is a a Bethel song might soften someone's heart to a degree towards the church and what they're teaching. And when they potentially come across those ideas, their guard is a little down. And I know how easy it is, you know, in my world of being exposed to so many uh, different teachings and ideas and views and beliefs and trying to sift through and, well, you know, is this someone that I should have on the show? Or is this someone that I need to avoid, you know? I know how easy it is to kind of get, um, I won't say swept away, but even just tripped up like by, you know, associations and, oh, well, this person is, is friends with that person. So they're safe and your guard is down. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you're listening to their podcast episode and you're like, what happened? This is, this is not sound, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I, I, I really think that is maybe the most powerful, um, point in my opinion of of why not to do it even because like there are like you said there are some songs that are not necessarily overtly incorrect theologically and yet the concern is that people will be um you know just kind of have their guard down to those teachings and um and therefore kind of fall prey to those uh elsewhere outside of the church's four walls that's right so um what would you say people, I mean, this is probably the question you get all the time. What do people do if their church is singing this music? If they are starting to notice some of these teachings from their leadership, like what is the path? Like you said, not everyone is not necessarily a Christian who is teaching these things. It doesn't, I don't know if you would say it it doesn't mean that the church is totally unbiblical, but what is your advice as far as, um, you know, the first step someone might take when they notice these popping up in their local church. Right. Yeah. So I would say that just because 
you know, a church is using um, music like Bethel music um, that, you know, many sound churches are doing that. Um, it's, it's the most popular music out there today. And so um, I, I think that, um, that it's having a conversation with the leaders of the church is important and doing that very respectfully because pastors have a very tough job and they're always having people come to them and, you know, warn them about probably this or that movement or this or that teacher. And, you know, and um, they can't, they don't have the time necessarily to keep up with everything and know everything going on out there in the world. And many pastors don't even know about NAR. And so I would say, you know, approach worship leaders and, and pastors respectfully and, um, and, and try to help educate them about what NAR is. Um, because when the pastor learns what NAR is, um, then they'll start becoming aware of the buzzwords and the theology that's in the music and they'll see it for themselves. And, um, you know, I would say, don't just go to a worship pastor necessarily. Um, a lot of times worship pastors are young. They may lack some theological training. Um, so you could go to your worship pastor, but you also might, if, if, if you don't get a real response, you might want to go to your pastor and the elders as well and make them aware of concerns. Um, the more people that speak up, I think the more uh, they will be heard in a church about these concerns. Um, but um, so I would say you said, you mentioned a couple things. I think you mentioned if the music is there, but also if the teachings are coming in. So I would say there's a different degree of, of right. you know, concern there because like I said, most churches are using this music. And so that's not, you know, you don't necessarily go, oh, they're using Bethel music. I got to leave this church if they have right. sound teaching, right? But you should, it should put you on alert to, to be, um, watchful and for what else might be coming in and then and then if if teachings are actually starting to come in if they're inviting apostles and prophets to speak at your church if they're partnering with NAR revivals in town revival events led by NAR leaders um if they're studying Bill Johnson books or Mike Bickle books or different books by NAR leaders and their small groups and bible studies you know, um, that's, that's, um, definitely a serious cause for concern. And again, having conversations with the leadership, um, approaching them respectfully, um, seeking to educate them. Um, but if a church is already really, you know, if a lot of this stuff has really come in, if they're really promoting these teachings and inviting the apostles and prophets, having conversations with the leaders probably won't accomplish that much they've probably already bought into the theology and so that case you know they it might be time to look for another church that's mm -hmm. that's more biblically sound let's talk about um the tie between the uh nar and the new age because um this is maybe a, a bit of a different take that you that you kind of start to expose like what is there a tie and and what is that tie why why does that exist yeah, we have a whole chapter about um, where we talk about new age practices coming into the church through NAR. And, and um, the thing is, what, what people may be surprised to find out is the leaders in the New Apostolic Reformation, they actually admit that many of their um, practices look a lot like new age practices. Mm -hmm. And what they have said, what some of those leaders have said, like it, um, th there's a book called Physics of Heaven that um, some leaders at Bethel Church, like Bill Johnson, contributed a chap uh, to, and uh, Chris Valentin, and I believe Benny Johnson contributed to that book. And what the people in this book say is that um, uh, New Agers actually stole these practices from Christians, that, that the early Christians had these practices that the church lost, and now NAR is or uh, the New Agers stole them, and that now NAR is like redeeming them and reclaiming them for the church. And so new age for people who don't know, it's basically like Eastern religion dressed in Western garb. Um, but you have a lot of new age practices that are like psychic um, practices, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, things like that, uh, fortune telling, um, right. you know, reading tarot cards, things like that. Well, well, NAR has actually been bringing these kind of practices into the church. They don't call right. it that. Right. But um, we talk in our book about one practice of reading something called destiny cards mm -hmm. and destiny cards are very similar to tarot cards, but they were created by a NAR organization named Christ Alignment. 
And um, students from Bethel Church were actually joining up with Christ Alignment and giving these, um, like they call them like spiritual readings, um, where they would go to like psychic fairs and things like that and kind of kind of disguise themselves basically as psychics and give these readings using these destiny cards, which are very similar to tarot cards, but say that they're prophetic words, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that like it's a spiritual gift of prophecy, but really it has a lot more in common with, with like something psychics would do. That is just, yeah, that's so concerning to me. Um, I'm pretty familiar with the new, new age, have some family members that are caught up in that. And it is such a dark web and network of beliefs. I mean, if there is any potential that, um, you know, knowingly or unknowingly that those who are kind of within this NAR movement are opening the door for people to get into that, that is such a huge, huge problem. Like that's, I mean, that's this like kind of marrying of Christianity with the new age. And that is as though they're, I mean, and again, like you said, it's, it's Eastern religion, it's Eastern practices and, and mysticism. And like Doreen Virtue says, it's, um, or maybe it's Marsha Montenegro who says this, I know they both, you know, you're familiar with them, but um, I've had Marsha on a couple of times and she just, she always says how it is just a network of beliefs. Like it's, and that that's what allows it to always kind of shift and move and change and it's ever deepening and ever widening to encompass more and more. But I think we also have to ask the question, like if we believe that every single person, which we, you and I don't, but if, if someone who goes to the Bethel school of supernatural ministry believes that every single person has the potential to learn the gift of prophecy or of, um, of healing of, of working miracles, what exactly is going to stop them from, you know, from actually kind of uh, realizing that in, in much the same way that the new age does and, um, and using things like tarot cards, using things like divining the future essentially is what you're, what you're doing because, you know, biblically prophecy, you can have the gift of prophecy and that doesn't mean you're for fortune telling. It doesn't mean you're telling the future. It means you are agreeing with what God says and, you know, and, and it, it can have a different meaning than just talking about future events. Right. And, um, I just, I think that is maybe one of the scarier aspects of all of this is that we would start to mesh and blend biblical teachings, which are supposed to be completely other than culture and other than the world and other than certainly Eastern religion, um, that, that there would be any sort of like tie-in is, is very concerning to me. And maybe yeah. one of the more, um, kind of gives me that like creepy chill down my spine feeling that there would be people who are finding a way. And, and even the fact they have to defend it, like say, Oh no, we had these teachings first. Like that, that freaks me out a little bit. And yeah. Is that, is that actually true? Where, where are they getting that idea? Where, why? Right. Yeah. You can't just say that these were teachings the early Christians had and that were lost. You need to right. provide evidence that they ever had those beliefs. And yeah. And then also, you know, we know from Deuteronomy 18 that occult practices are forbidden in scripture yeah. and um, there's dangers in, in uh, occult get, dabbling in the occult opens doors to the demonic. Right. And so there's really a, concerns about are people yeah. in the name of Christianity or in these in our churches actually coming under demonic influence right. while um, taking part in these these new age type practices. And we go through many more um, examples in our chapter yeah. than just what we've talked about here um, about yeah. the disturbing new age practices, even, even like necromancy we talk about in our chapter, communication with the dead, um, telepathy, practices like this that are, that are being promoted, um, in these NAR churches. Man, has it been, um, kind of a, a heavy thing for you to dig into all of this? I would imagine there's just a lot of, a lot of darkness that you've kind of had to pull back the veil and uncover in order to, you know, research this. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a heavy topic for sure. Yeah. So what would be your final encouragement to those listening, you know, as they think about family members or friends who might be engaged yeah. with some of this, like, how do we, how do we graciously and lovingly share the truth, uh, about this with others? I mean, potentially, you know, 
um, people won't feel comfortable just sending them this podcast, but what, what would you short of that? Like, what would you recommend them to do? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard, like any, you know, um, difficult conversation. Um, but, um, people can be very defensive, you know, when, when their loved ones challenge them about these teachings. Um, and so, um, trying to educate them first, uh, maybe just ask questions. Like, have you heard of the new apostolic reformation? Do you know what that is? Have you done any research on it? Um, um, you know, just maybe pique their curiosity a little bit. Maybe they'll start doing a little researching and go online and see what's mm-hmm. out there. Maybe discover, um, podcasts like this or books like ours, you know, and, um, but, um, maybe ask if they'd be willing to listen to a podcast or read a book. I know that's, that's hard. And many people will just, you know, be resistant to that. Um, but gently challenge them. If, if they're open to talking, gently challenge them on their beliefs and ask them to support their beliefs with scripture. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you're familiar with Greg Kolkel and his book uh-huh. tactics. Yeah. So yeah. he talks about, you know, that really the power of asking questions and how you can ask people questions and not, it's not as confrontational, but to get them to start thinking seriously about their beliefs. So we recommend that kind of approach when talking with people about NAR, you know, you want to put a pebble in their shoe, like, like Greg Kokel says, um, where you ask them questions that will get them thinking and um, maybe questions like, well, do you really believe Bill Johnson is an apostle? If so, why do you believe that? What evidence do you have for that? Is that good evidence? Um, what does the Bible say about apostles? And, you know, just kind of put these pebbles in their shoe that might they might keep thinking about it later on their own. And um, I know with my own husband, when we were dating, um, you know, I was asking him lots of questions when he was part of this movement. And, you know, he was resistant um, when we would talk and he would get defensive. And he would say, my church doesn't believe that. Or, you know, or he would say, scripture teaches that here and, you know, point to verses and use them out of context and things like that. But the truth was, he was thinking about our conversations uh, later. And um, and so eventually his eyes were opened and and yeah. he did come out of, of NAR. And so that can happen. But um, it won't happen necessarily quickly. Um, it can be a long process because people in this movement really have to, um, uh, we talk about in the book, all the tactics that leaders in this movement use to get their followers not to think critically about their teachings. And, um, and there's a lot of um, manipulation and deception in this movement, whether intentional or not, on the part of the leaders to cause their followers not to question the teachings and to actually shut off their mind to criticisms. So it can be a long process. So it's really important to pray to just pray, pray, pray that their eyes will be opened um, and that God will take off the blinders. Absolutely. Uh, the final thing that I, I forgot to ask you about was wh- who are the most influential names in this? I mean, yeah. I know that you, you talk about that in your book, but um, you know, you don't have to, to obviously you couldn't name all of them, but um, what are, you know, what are a few of the most concerning, we've said Bill Johnson, Benny Johnson, Chris Volatin, yeah. anyone else that, that listeners might be familiar with, um, yeah, we to, obviously to mentioned Mike it. Bickle, um, Lou Engle, many people may, he he's held stadium, like size rallies, um, prayer and fasting rallies in large stadiums throughout the United States. Um, Cindy Jacobs, is a well-known prophet in this movement, um, I mentioned Jesus Culture Church, like Banning Leapshire uh, there. Um, um, hmm. <laughs> There's so many. Um, uh, those it's, are some of the 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 most yeah the most well known ones that are coming to mind right now. Is Francis Chan someone that is involved in this? So he so he in the past has has not been part of NAR at all. He started getting invitations to speak, like he spoke at IHOP, KC, mm-hmm. um, uh, started sharing some platforms, came under some criticism for that, some heavy criticism. Um, and since then, what's been concerning to me is it, it's, it, it's not just that he shared a platform, it's that he's now become a vocal defender of Bill Johnson and some leaders in this movement and is almost seeming to promote these leaders now. And so there's been a shift in him where he went from not being part of this at all to just kind of sharing a platform, accepting some invitations to now to now actually vocally defending these leaders. 
Um, and so, and he's doing that because he really is big on unity. You know, we want to have unity with, with all Christians, but I, it's really concerning because he's giving credibility to these, these leaders and, um, making it harder to warn, to warn about their dangerous teachings. Right. And I think it's like, we agree with, we agree with him. We should have unity in the body. The problem is you can't have unity without truth. And so anywhere that there are deceptive teachings, lies, extra biblical ideas coming in, that is what is going to disrupt the unity, opening the door to the new age or demonic influence inside the church. I mean, it's just, it, I almost have to laugh that like Satan would not be half as effective as he is without the church because they, we are in so many ways opening up and, and, you know, you can't read too much of that statement, but what I'm trying to say is that the, the Christians through false teaching are causing more harm to ourselves than, than the extra, than all the things that culture is selling. You know what I'm saying? Like there are so many beliefs that have just I like been Trojan horses within the church, whether it's the Enneagram or social justice, CRT, like so many things that have been trafficked in and, and that have, um, you know, infiltrated our churches from within, not, not really, it's not so much that the the culture is pushing those in on us. We're bringing them to our own people. And that's, that's kind of what this is in the same category of, you know? Yeah, you're right. The only, the only secularism and the things from outside the church are, are, can be a real threat to our faith, Yeah, but some of the greatest threats to our faith come from within the church. Like you said, and scripture warns us, Jesus warned us that there would be false prophets, you know, that they would, they would um, be wolves, even though they, you know, uh, in sheep's clothing. And, and, and so, I mean, there's repeated warnings throughout scripture. Many people might be surprised if they've never done a search, but how many verses of scripture uh, in the old and new warn to be on guard against false prophets and false teachers. And so it's really minimizing the teachings of Jesus and the apostles about this to, to say that we shouldn't really be concerned about about this threat. Yeah, man. Well, I'm so thankful that you wrote this book and thanks for spending time with us today to kind of talk about it. Um, where would you point people to purchase it? What's the best place to, to buy? Yeah. That? So you can buy it anywhere. The books are sold. Um, Amazon, um, you know, christianbooks.com, uh, um, Barnes and Noble, anywhere you can, um, it actually, the book, uh, well, I'm not sure when this podcast will air the book releases, tomorrow november 15th um and and there's also an audio book and an ebook format as well as the paperback awesome well thank you so much uh really appreciate your your time and your wisdom and all the work that you've put into this and i'm so glad that someone is bringing light to it so thank you well thanks so much for your heart uh to warn people about this movement thanks holly Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope and pray that that um, episode was encouraging and informative for you. I know I learned a ton and, um, you know, I just really appreciate that there are believers who are faithfully investigating and, um, researching and learning all about, uh, these various movements and teachings that are becoming so popular and sometimes are very hard for us to nail down. That's been gnar for me. It's been really challenging for me to kind of pinpoint what it is and what it isn't. This conversation helped me so much. So, um, anyways, I hope you'll come find me on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Haley, H-A-L-E-Y dot kindled. That's where I hang out between episodes and, um, yeah. Until next time, have a great week.